0: Yeah, when you were in Drifters Reef and you heard that bell ringing, you knew that within one second, Supot or Papa, as we called him, was getting ready to tell you, "Last call, get the fuck out of here." Now, don't imagine my voice, six foot two, Allen. Imagine a five foot five, jet black hair, glasses as almost as big as my face, on a little Thai man that would just stare at you like he could take you. And he probably could. Yeah, this was the kind of thing that we looked forward to every night at Drifter's Reef. And I saw some people in my time there that would come that last half hour just to experience Papa and his shenanigans. You know, Wake Island was a very unique experience. And from my time there in 2005 to 2007, some of the best methods for actually trying to live and how to live in any kind of environment came from my time on that island, alongside numerous other Americans and these beautiful people from Thailand. You know, when you think about it, everybody wonders about where is Wake Island. So if you had a GPS and used to plug these coordinates in, it'd be 12.2796 degrees north and 166.6499 degrees east basically it lies at 19 degrees 18 minutes of latitude north of the equator and 166 degrees 35 minutes of longitude east of greenwich england so it was kind of exciting you know when you thought about it it was over 2000 miles west of hawaii and that was a 4 hour flight it's not that big of an island if you put your hands together and then splay them out into a V, that would be Wake Island. So, Wake Island sits atop of a extinct volcano. It's the Wake Island Atoll. So, you have Wake, Wilkes, and Peel, the people that originally found the island. There's a lot of history to it. There used to be a hotel out there. And when Pan Am had their flights on their flying boats, they would land into the harbor and pull up alongside the island. It was attacked, even though it's over the International Dateline, the same day as Pearl Harbor. A lot of history. Captain Elrod was the first Marine aviator to receive the Medal of Honor for defending Wake Island. A lot of things out there. When I first arrived out there, I flew out on the rotator and we left Honolulu. I was sitting next to Charlotte Price, Charlotte Casey Price, our HR manager. And I wasn't sure what to expect. I'd been in the Pacific before, you know, Philippines, Guam, I'd been all over, but I wasn't sure what to expect on Wake Island. You know, it's a possession that's currently, you know, just small, uh, not many inhabitants. It's run for purposes of in-flight emergencies for military aircraft. Uh, civilian aircraft can land out there if there's an emergency, you know, it's got multiple purposes and for reasons of OPSEC or operational security, I'm not going to go into that. Google it. Look what's available. Look at the history. It's a beautiful place. But when we landed and that door opened, remember how I told you that it lied 19 degrees, 18 minutes of latitude north of the equator? Well, that's only 442 miles above the equator. And if you're not familiar with it, when you get down towards the equator, it gets hotter than hell. Yeah, you could go out you know you've seen people do all kinds of crazy things on hot days in Arizona and other places they crack an egg and fry it well you're the egg yeah it's it's quite a different thing when you think about it i mean it's not that far from the equator so it's hot as hell you get out there it's humid you've got the ocean you've got those incredible views of the pacific and the colors that come with it but when you land you know, there, there's some trees out there, ironwood, coconut. There's a couple of fruit trees and stuff that we had prior to Super Typhoon yoki hitting it in 2006. I could not tell you what's out there now, but it was an amazing place. And as we got off the aircraft and was going up to the terminal, the heat just hit you. You know, it's important that you acclimate, but how do you acclimate to something like that from flying from Hawaii, from air-conditioned. know buildings and hawaii's beautiful you know it's further up you know it's thousands of miles up it's higher than where wake island is so while it's still warm you don't have that intense heat that intense humidity but wake island was amazing imagine looking out and you're looking at the land and it looks like at any moment the water's just gonna come over it and it did quite frequently there'd be nights we'd be sitting down by drifters You'd look at the lagoon, you'd look over to Peel Island and stuff. And all of a sudden, here comes a wave. There may have been tsunami, you know, somewhere out or an earthquake, deep sea ocean. And it'd just go over the island. It'd come over the top. Like, you know, after a heavy rain, how your gutters get full and then disappear. We'd have hermit crabs and fish and eels and things all over the place. Garbage cans knocked over, you know, chairs of people's things just floating around. And that was a common occurrence. But when we got off the airplane, one of the things that I do remember prior to going out when I'd spoken to some of the friends was I put on SPF 1000. I mean, brother, you could have got sunburned in 10 minutes. So it was amazing as we're disembarking from the aircraft and uh, heading towards the terminal, you know, the TIE force that was out there was getting out. They brought in the K loaders to bring down the cargo, bring down their luggage and just that short walk into the terminal, I, my shirt was soaked, but it was an amazing feeling because the sights and sounds of the ties, the sound of the ocean, the heat, everything. There's something about that environment. You know, you're, you're not in the most comfortable setting. Uh, when you think about it, you're just walking, <coughs> excuse me, but it was just amazing. The sights, the sounds, the smells. Think of your favorite beach along with jet fuel. Think about seeing people enjoying themselves, but while they're working. And that was the environment that I came into. So we go into the terminal and Scott Schweistel, who was the Missile Defense Agency rep, and he was giving us our safety brief and going over, you know, was telling us about all the unexploded ordnance and World War II relics and what not to do, where not to go. Uh, people without clearances shouldn't be doing this people with clearances should check in with him and others and it was a great indoctrination you know I I couldn't wait to get back outside so we got done with the briefing and Scott came up and Captain Rose my boss from the Air Force came up Uh, we did our thing we you know we went to the arms room we inventoried my weapons they issued my keys got everything that I had to do to do my job and then scott then took us downtown is what we called the island so again put your hands in a v and look at your right hand so where your knuckle is going up that's where downtown was so you'd leave from your left palm left thumb go around the island past the water plant and other structures and facilities and you stopped at the knuckle where billeting was so while you're looking at your hands Imagine in the center of it is this massive pond, massive amount of water. That's the lagoon. That's where the Pan Am planes used to land in, you know, and then pull up to that island that goes up that top of that right fingertip. You know, just an amazing sight amazing sounds. So we get checked into billeting. And then the project manager and Captain Rose wanted me to do a familiarization toward the island. So we left the right knuckle and drove all the way up to the left fingertip and we started from the areas up in there the marina came down past some buildings and structures from world war ii where aircraft were parked and vamps and things like that were stationed then we went into the other area uh west of the island and again for opsec reasons i'm not going to discuss what was there at that time again look at the island do your research things like that Things that could have changed. Things could still be the same. I'm not telling you. But we got down to base ops and we went into my office. And I started going over reports and getting my briefing from AFOSI, which is the Office of Special Investigations, getting my briefing from the Coast Guard, getting my briefing from Missile Defense, getting all my, hey, welcome to the island stuff. But the one thing I kept noticing, I'd been around ties before, especially on Guam. I was used to that cultural difference. And that's one of the reasons when they asked me to take over for the law enforcement. Um, you know, they want somebody that could work with multiculturals. So having grown up, you know, around Filipinos, Tagalos, uh, people from Saipan, Rota, Tinian, and Guam, I, I had that ability. And that, like I said in the last podcast, one of the things about knowing myself was I got good into cultures because I could see and experience what they were doing and mimic it where we came closer together because that was just showing the respect for the way they did things. So probably within a day, Charlotte was there to give us some classes, you know, sexual harassment, uh, something I thought I had perfected, but obviously during the course of her class, she kind of let us know, yeah, it's not something to be perfected. It's something that we got to put a uh, stop check to. And then we had fun. Thomas Tiley was giving her, you know all these question and answer things and he was he was doing his stuff and Thomas was the environmental guy, so we had a good time um, Think about the one place that you've always wanted to go and you've researched it and in your mind you had an idea. that was not Wake Island for me. I was used to islands. I was used to being around water it had it did not bother me what bothered me was how calm it was. I mean, I flew out of Georgia previously, the year prior, I'd been working up in Cleveland, Ohio. And when the call came in, you know, Hey, we need somebody with these particular skill sets, law enforcement, background, uh, medical training, things like that, you know, able to get their security clearance updated. My name came up and said, Hey, you're going, I said, what the hell, you know? (laughs) So went through the stuff, went through the training, uh, background checks it got out there, and while we're doing this, I went back to my childhood days where Dad would prep us to go someplace. You know, I got into the encyclopedias. Uh, it wasn't so much Google back then, but Encarta and some of the other things, and started looking up the history of Wake Island. You know, the things about the people that had been there, uh, all the Vietnamese that went through there. You know, think of it as being, you know, Ellis Island during the time when all the Europeans came across. So, it had such a rich and diverse background and history to it. And I'd find out more from Lou. So, Lou was our local historian. He was kind of institutionalized. He'd been there 20-something years. Been out of the Navy. And when he applied to go to Wake Island, you know, this gives you the mindset of the people that went out there. It was just going to be a short-term thing. He was going to work in base operations, go back, get back to work. But when he went back, the job was filled. You know, he wasn't in the military anymore. They weren't going to hold it. So he went to go look for another work. And somebody called him up and said, you want to come back to Wake? He said, why not? Went back, never left. I mean, he would go out on his time off station rotations. You had to. We had to do physicals and make sure we were fit for duty and stuff. But a lot of the people that worked out there, including the ties, you know, you'd say, hey, how long you been here? One, two years? I've been here 10 years. I've been here nine years. And it's like, holy crap. Could you imagine just, you know, for the Americans, we were out there for one year, just a year prior to rotation. The ties would be out there for 14 months before going to get their visas. Think of the mindset that you had to have in an environment completely away from family, completely away from people that you used to interact with on a daily basis I mean, if there was an emergency, if, if there was a space available flight that came in, that'd be one thing. Other than that, you had to wait two weeks for the rotator when we got mail, when we got food, things like that. It was such a unique experience. pot, Drifter's Reef, you know, little things like that where I told you people would just come in nightly for that familiarity to hear Papa say, last call, get the fuck out. And it was something you look forward to daily because it let you know you were where you belonged until you weren't. When we come back, I'm gonna teach you some of the things that they taught me that made remote living with less than 300 people, less than 40 cars, such a unique experience. You know, because my first time going off the island, I had a hard time. My dad picked me up from Atlanta Hartsfield Airport. And I panicked at the traffic and the amount of cars and the noises because the environment and the mindset that I'd left after being there for a year changed my life completely. And we'll get into that in just a moment.
1: Alan Woofer. Produce this podcast for entertainment purposes. Neither this nor any other podcast you produce constitute legal, medical, marital, sexual, or professional advice. The opinions and views presented by Alan are his own and do not reflect the views or opinions of employers, clients, family, Facebook groupies, promotional sponsors, or baby Jesus. Any health information shared or mentioned as an alternative does not create any patient-physician relationship or other professional relationship between the audience and the presenters. No person listening to any podcast from this rocket should act or refrain from acting based on the content of a podcast without first seeking appropriate professional advice and or counseling. Nor shall the information be used to substitute for professional advice and counseling. As stated earlier, this show is for entertainment purposes, not how to lead or change your life. Do what is best for you or what your spouse approves of. Alan Wooford and all guests of the show expressly disclaim all liability relating to any actions taken or not taken based on any and all contents of this site.
0: Search for something intellectual and fulfilling. You've tuned into the Diary of a Bald Man. And there is no going back. Let the moaning, groaning, and bitching begin in five, four, three, two,
1: one.
0: Hey singers and welcome back to The Shit Show. This is Alan Wolford and you're listening to Diary of a Bald Man. So in this reflection on Wake Island and Drifter's Reef in that time period of 2005 to 2007, you know, I was talking about some of the things I learned while being out there. I had a couple of short breaks in that time where I had to leave the island, but doing some of the things I saw the Ties do on a daily basis, and that Soupot and Sammy and Kilo and all these others taught me was simply wherever you're at, that's what you become. So in thinking about that, think about where you're at right now. Are you at home? Are you at work? Are you out on the lake? Are you traveling? Where are you at? Because that's what you are. You're the environment in which you got engaged in. When I got onto Wake Island, you know, I'd been... Back on the mainland, I had been staying in Georgia. I was used to certain things like the TV that we had. You know, on Wake Island, we had tapes. Everything was played off tape. AFRTS or Armed Forces Radio Television would send us movies. We had videotapes. We had canned music. You know, just different types of things. And one of the things we had to look at back on the mainland where we had, you know, somewhat high-speed internet, to get internet on the island, we had to dial in. So, a lot of people now are not even familiar with that. You know, you got high-speed cable, you got fiber optics, things like that. So, you had to change your lifestyle. You had to change the way you did things. And there were certain times of the year where they had solar flares and stuff like that. You'd try to make a, uh, just a regular landline call. Forget cell phones. No cell phones on the island. There was no tower. We were 4,000 miles away from Hawaii. Or excuse me, a little over 2,000. You know, and when you think about it and the distances and stuff, could you live without it? Yeah. Could you live without high speed? Yeah. Because what you do, the way the ties do it, is when you get into a situation or environment, you're either proactive, you're prepared for it, or you react. And the great thing about being proactive, if you know where you're going doesn't have high speed internet, don't plan on playing these online games. Go old school, board games, card games. Things where you're not engrossed. And when you're traveling, you know where you're going into those things. Watch out. Because you can get trapped up by them. One of the things that Ties did to be proactive for Wake Island, you know, they knew they were going to be away from their family. So they'd set up just little things that they'd do on a daily basis that would remind them of them. You know, they'd look at a picture. They'd talk to them, you know, just spaciously. You know, the individual wouldn't be there. But they said if you pick up these little habits every day, it would help you in, you know, not falling apart because you're away from them. And some of the habits I thought that was rather unique, and I I picked some of these up myself, previous to getting to the island and after getting to the island, but say like somebody new from Thailand came in. All right. So again, think about where you're at right now. Where are you going? Things you're doing. Did you prepare before you went out there? Well, these guys do. They looked at custom, culture, same thing my dad had us do when we were kids going to the Philippines or to Guam. And we'd look at what to expect. So that way in our mind, we're being proactive. We're preparing, hey, it's hot there. It's close to the equator. You know, we're not going to have mountains. We're not going to have waterfalls. We're not going to have the hustle and bustle of the city. So they mentally prepared themselves. And so what they would do little by little every day is to start a new habit to get used to it. And some of these things were rather unique. One of the coolest things I ever saw is that, you know, when the ties would go into the rooms, some of them would have the air conditioners on, but most of them would just turn on fans. The air conditioning, they said, because, you know, physiologically, and it's different when they interpret it, if they go from air conditioning to sudden heat, you get that drawdown, that fatigue. So they kept themselves physically at a level of comfort but not above that comfort, not you know, with 60 degrees and 70 degrees while it's 95 outside. they would get somewhere like in the middle where they'd stop sweating. But then when they go out, it wasn't such a dramatic change. Well, they had to do the same thing mentally. They got used to and they prepared themselves by saying, with my family not being here, I need to find people from my village. Because remember I told you, same thing when I was on Guam, If something happened to a member of the village, everybody came together, everybody. You got that family back online. You stopped what you were doing to support them, right? Because that was you, that was an extension of you. Here in the States, quite a bit different. People ignore it or they put it on YouTube or they put it on Facebook. They're not helping you. They're doing that shock documentary. So these guys would get on the island. I would get on the island. And little by little, I'd learn the habits. One of the things I thought was really, really unique about them, a lot of them would get up two hours before work. And what this did, they set these habits up to prepare them for the workday. They, they'd write a little letter to their family. They may set up an email. A lot of them would use Hotmail or whatever they could access, you know, internationally. And they'd write a little letter. Hey, I'm getting ready to go to work. Make sure your mom has this. Make sure your auntie has this. Make sure your grandmother has this. Then they'd do calisthenics. Because just like they're cooking, you have sweet, you have savory. They'd mix all these, you know, different things into a dish where you got spices, but sweet and sour at the same time. They'd do the same thing for their life. So what they taught me, get up early, which I've always done. That's never been, you know, a habit that I had to break. Either meditate or a prayer, because we had ties that were Buddhist. We had ties that were Catholic, especially the fire department. A lot of them were Catholic. We had ties that were Muslim. And so everybody had a unique way for their prayers and their rituals. But they were all, you know, that village. They had that village mentality and took care of each other. So what they did for me, and I'd mentioned this on a podcast that I did with the Safety Justice League, you know, when I do safety, I'm looking at what's a hazard to the guys? What's this? The ties believe just like they did going into an area, you're going to be proactive or reactive. The reaction is when they go to work, they're having to do their tasks, their things like this. So one of the ties would hand out, I'm not sure if he was Muslim, Buddhist, Catholic, but he'd hand out pennies to those that were in his group because their thoughts, the reason they're away from their family was to make the money that they could, you know, make a good money on a U.S. contract and send it home. That gave them so much validation that made them feel so good that while they sacrificed being away from their family, their culture, their environment, their history, that they were serving a greater purpose. So their mindset was, I can do these things because I'm doing better for them. When they gave the penny, it was to take their mind off. I'm here for the money. By them giving a penny, it doesn't sound like a lot, but you got to think of what most, you know, Uh, Foreign nationals make on different contracts. Some of it's like, you know, $3 an hour, $2 an hour, things that for us would be impossible to live on, but for them was grandiose, you know, back in their country or their point of origin. So what they taught me was don't think about the work. It's something you do every day. So one of your habits is going to be the same thing like they did, like they taught me, get up early, do a calisthenic. Even if all you do is stretch, you know, you stretch out maybe 10, 15, 20 minutes, then relax and meditate on the day. Because see, in the morning is when your brain is most active. And so the ties that were artistic, they would write, they'd have poetry. It was it was amazing that some of them, so many of them did karaoke and stuff. They would start getting songs and things ready for the night. Or they'd start cooking and prepping and soaking and brining food and fish and stuff for the latter part of the day. Because your mental peak is first thing in the morning. So they'd set their mental peak, you know, they did calisthenics, got the physical aspect involved. They set their mental aspect. They got their mind off the work because the work they knew, it's going to be hot. They prepared for that. So they developed these little habits so that when they were away from home, it didn't bother them because they had that ability to provide for their family. So now all they had to do was get through the day. And at the end of the day, they did just like they did in the villages. The way we did it on Wake Island was we had beach houses and each one was themed differently. So this group would cook a certain variation of food. The fire department guys would cook their variation of food. The communications guys would do this. And so they built a new village based off their trade. They, they knew what kind of work each other did. They were familiar with the stuff. So it was easy for them to communicate. That's your other habit. When you get to work, you know, you're not having to make friends, but to keep that peace of mind, to keep yourself in a good place, to keep yourself in that environment which you're going to thrive. Find people that communicate and know the same thing you do. You want to go outside as much as you know possible as well. Like the fire department guys would get with the comm guys, com guys would get with CE or civil engineering, and they would help each other, and they had that mutual respect. They were all in the same boat by being separated from families nationality and things. What helped me was when, you know, I would think I I was having a bad day or i had have something going on. I would see these guys and say, they've been away from home, you know, 14 months. They're gonna go home for a little bit, then they're gonna come right back. I'm gonna go home for a little bit and I'm gonna come right back. And we had to mentally prepare to leave the island And set ourselves, you know, hey, family, I'm coming home and I'm doing this, but without expectation. And that's the same. I had to learn that too. Because when you're gone for a while, you can't just expect you're going to walk in on your wife and she's going to be all romantic and throwing herself over you. Because they've had to be without you for a while. You have to build that relationship back up to a point because they weren't used to your touch. They weren't used to you coming up on them. So the mental habit that they did, that. You know, help me develop too is when I got home. No expectations. Be proactive, not reactive. Because again, the environment you're in is going to cause your mind to do crazy things. Most people are reactive. They get up, they get their coffee, they get dressed. You know, they do all these little things that have no meaning in their life. And some do things that have an extreme amount of meaning that's extremely necessary to get their family and themselves going. But you have to prioritize, prioritize you. What's going to get you through the day? So you're in a good mood before you go to work and you have a good office environment. Then you come back home and you have a good home environment. Be proactive, not reactive. When we react and we're caught off guard, that's when things go bad because we did not prepare mentally. We didn't prepare physically. It sounds like you're getting a variation on various themes. And it is because there's no one answer that helps everybody. You could be proactive on your way to work and you say, hey, I filled the gas. I got this. You're driving. All of a sudden, tire blows out. Okay. Be proactive. Prepare for things like this ahead of time. Make sure you have AAA if you don't have a spare. You know, we look at things so differently. We react. We get pissed off. We're slamming the thing. Now I'm going to be late. Now I'm going to do this. But then, you know, when things come up, maybe there's a reason for it. And the ties believe if anything happened, that was supposed to be for us to stop. Be proactive. Be ready for things to fail. It's okay to fail. Sometimes, you know, the universe puts its hands on us and says, whoa, back up a second. Whether it's at work, it's at life. You know, if you're driving to work, what about if something at the house fails? You're getting ready to go. The power goes out. Okay. You know, have flashlights, have things. Be prepared so that when you react, you're reacting calmly. Oh, that's okay. You know, we've got these battery backup lights. We've got potable water. We got this. And when it runs out or before it runs out, be proactive. Hey, I'm going to have to go and I'm going to have to do this. These guys did amazing things with so little money. You know, after Super Typhoon Ayoki came in and we had so much devastation on the island, they saw the opportunity to build back better. The CE guys looked at structures and where things that fall apart. They said, here, we need to put additional frames here. We need to do this. They didn't see it as, oh my God, my world's destroyed. I'm going home. They saw the opportunity to improve their craft, to make the island better, to make the client, the air force and government, the people we work for feel better about the investment in us. Invest in yourself, invest in what you see, you know, Your environment will shape your mind. It will shape the way you respond. It will either drop you like it almost did me, you know, because again, Wake Island is where I almost blew myself apart, but it wasn't because the teachings of what these guys gave me and what I learned and what I'm relearning now, because I'm really getting in depth about taking responsibility, I'm fucking myself, things like that. But what got me was the chain of events from the time when Linda, my maternal mother, died to other events that were not even related. It it was my physical being because I was reacting to the fact that I gained weight. I was diabetic trying to smoke instead of being proactive, saying, fuck, I'm fat. I had to get on a freight scale to get onto the airplane. I had all the indicators. I was doing all the things, but I wasn't doing like they taught me. Take care of yourself. Get up in the morning. Stretch. Get your mind off work. Don't let the stress of this You need to do the same thing. Wherever you go, be proactive. You're going out to dinner. Look at the menu. Get an idea before you get there so that you're not fussing over it. You can sit and relax because you looked it up online. You know, when you get there, tell everybody to shut off the phone so you can be proactive and getting those priorities squared away, right? We don't have forever. Time is limited. Time is man-made. Time is a measurement. We have a life. Be proactive. Plan your life. And if things fail, maybe that's to redirect you. Change your sails. Turn the other direction. Be intrigued. You know, look at what's going around you. Because when we're driving, we just drive and we let things pass. Look for the things that stand out. Stop and Take a look at it. Don't do it in traffic. Fuck, don't do that. I don't want to hear you guys bitching the moon because, oh, I had to step out and get a picture of this and then got sideswiped. Be proactive, not reactive. Pick up a small habit every day just to get you in the habit of, I get up, I'm going to stretch, I'm going to let the dog out, I'm going to drink some coffee. I'm not going to answer all those emails. When I get into work, I'm not checking emails. I'm going to wait until an hour goes by. They were waiting when you got there. Don't let your life control you, control your life. Do the small habits. Remember, before you go into an environment, whatever you're carrying on your shoulder and in your heart, that's what you're going to give. So that's what you're going to get back. Maintain positive vibes. There is nothing we can't handle. And if we can't handle it, we got friends that will back us up. What saved my life on Wake Island, was like I told you at the beginning of the show. When you hear that bell saying, last call, get the fuck out. When that bell rings and you feel that tension, you feel that aggravation, stop what you're doing. You're at the end of your rope. You're at the end of conscious thought and redirect. Get the hell out of there. We can plan to be proactive. We can do that for anything. It just takes a few minutes. We can prepare for minutes when that plan falls apart, you know, you could communicate with others and say, Hey, I was doing this. This came down. Do you have any ideas? Get that back up. Never doubt, never be afraid to fail and then engage with your life, follow your plans, be prepared to drop, get the things you need, travel, take small habits, take time for yourself, be positive in your thoughts. Cause remember you have all the opportunity in the world to build up relationships, right? When you go in, do the same thing I do when I go into a new client. This is how easy this is. I take this from the ties. I go in, and when we came onto the island, the ties would carry flowers like lace. And they would hand you one. But then they'd offer you to a trade. I do the same thing with dummy suckers or dum-dums as most people. You go in, you don't even say a word. You stick your hand out, You're offering. You let that person have a choice to come to you with a simple thing, and that brightens them up, that changes their day. You plan to go in with a positive note. You prepare for that. You communicated with the individual by offer without verbal context, and you engaged. If you do that every time, offer your hand, offer a sucker, offer a candy, you will absorb and you will attract the positive energy, the positive life that you so desperately need as we all desperately need and that makes life worth living small habits dedication to yourself being proactive and not reactive god bless you i love you thank you for listening visit our new website diaryofabaldman.com backslash wake island for pictures of drifter's reef and my time on the island up until the day i left God bless you. Thank you. Now get the fuck out of here and enjoy the rest of your day.
1: You have been listening to Diary of a Bald Man. Alan Wofford has left the building.